Hey listeners, I'm your host, Sally Holder. Join me each week to escape and be refreshed with stories of people who dared not to settle for the American dream. Go beyond just getting enough in life and live into a place where big dreams actually do come true. Each week, you'll discover why internal success is better than external success. Be prepared to redefine what your best looks like in life and free yourself from the guilt of wanting more. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just feel like I could make a bigger impact on the world. I have no clue how or what I would do, but I can feel it. I'm sure you have. I bet you're a listener to this podcast because you have a hint that you can do more or be more if you showed up as big as you're capable of being in your life. Well, my guest today felt that exact same feeling and she acted on it. Yep. Emily Sexton did the scary thing. She left a job she loved that had perks a lot of people would dream about because she knew she had more to offer the world. She sought out her bigger, bolder life. And guess what happened? Well, you didn't think I was going to spoil the whole episode now, did you? Nope. You're going to have to listen to this episode to hear exactly how Emily found her purpose and the exact steps she took for breaking it all down. The money she used to get started, how she raised it, everything. Let's just say she's making a big impact on the world today, and she's only four years in. You heard me just four years. And she now has a multi-million dollar company she's created with no previous experience. And she's loving the life she's created. I know you're going to love her too. I can't wait for you to hear from Emily Sexton on exactly how she found her purpose and how you can too. Enjoy. Before we get into the meat of the episode, I had to share something exciting with you. If you feel like you aren't getting where you want to be in your career or success isn't feeling like what you envisioned, I've created something just for you. Go to sallyholder.com or head to the link in my show notes to answer 10 quick questions so I can help you figure out if you need to be bolder in your career so that you can have the success you truly desire, not just the benchmarks you've been told you should hit. I can't wait for you to get your results. Feel free to share them with me via email or even tag me on Instagram. Now, back to the episode. Hey, listeners. I am so excited for you guys to meet my new friend, Emily Sexton. She is an incredible entrepreneur, but she has also been touted as the favorite person that Jenna Kutcher has ever interviewed. I think that is pretty high praise. So I know you guys are going to learn a lot from her as well. Hello, Miss Emily. How are you? Sally, I'm so excited. And what an intro full of lots of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. And, um, Oh my gosh. When you, when you initially reached out, I saw the name of your podcast. I was like, absolutely. I'm all in. I don't need to know anymore. Let's do this. <laughs> I love it. I, I know. Um, I, I think that you and I, as 
I always kind of jokingly say I'm a recovering lawyer because I've, I've <laughs> left the practice and you recovering from your life on Wall Street and, and giving back in such an impactful way now. It is amazing the transition in careers that you've made. And I know our listeners are going to learn so much from your story. So why don't you kick us off on how you ended up in this big corporate career in the first place? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in small town, North Carolina. I didn't have a lot of examples, really any at all examples around me of people in big corporate jobs. So a lot of the jobs in town were very blue collar. There were a ton of entrepreneurs. My grandpa actually happened to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so I had his example. Um, but yeah, it was kind of where you grow up and you have a plan marked out in front of you. Um, as a woman, I felt no one had told me, but the context clues I picked up were that you go to college, hopefully you'd meet a man of your dreams there, you'd get married, you'd have kids, and there wasn't a ton of talk about um, career. Um, and you know, some people would chat with me about that, and I was always very bright in school. I'm an Enneagram 3, the achiever, so you know, I wanted to be the poster child for anything, school, whatever it was I was involved in. So I was very smart, and I loved learning, and um, I just was like, I want to you know, do something meaningful. And I was always very career oriented. I actually never thought I would get married or have kids. I just was very much thinking along the lines of, um, you know, I want to get out of this small town and make a name for myself and have this big job like you see on the movies. Hilarious. Yeah, me too. Um, me too, girl. I associate that with so much. I mean, I was like wanting that old school briefcase too. I still yes. call my bag a briefcase just out of habit. Yes. With the like horrible, like maroon, like <laughs> skirt and jacket, like suit. Why well, was this our dream? Um, but very funnily enough, um, at some point in high school, my dreams changed because I think that's what everyone wanted for me. They wanted for me to be a businesswoman um, or an architect or whatever. I was like really good in math. And so I've always had this thing about if someone wants me to do something, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> for better or for worse, that is a trait of mine. And so I decided that I was going to be Britney Spears' backup dancer and that I was going to go to college for dance. That is a real life story. I literally went to college for dance. And um, a couple of months into school, actually, I got hurt and was told I would never dance again. And I look back now at the age of 34 and say, well, thank God, because what in the world? Um, but and at the time it was devastating. And I remember going to the career center and they did not know what to do with me. Um, I, you know, I was there at that school on scholarship and I was, um, you, know, you know, very smart, but they think you're a fool when you sit down and say, well, I was gonna be Britney Spears' backup dancer and now I'm hurt and I don't know what to do with my life. So the, at Elon University where I went, there were two biggest, the two biggest majors, majors were business and communications. I asked what the difference was. They said communications was a lot of writing and business was more speaking. And I don't know about you, but if I had the choice between writing and speaking, I'm gonna go the speaking route. <laughs> Absolutely, sounds and easier. I, Right. It totally does. And what I fell into was business marketing and sales. And what I loved about that is sales to me growing up had always seemed, seemed sleazy. So I had seen like, you know, the, the bad context of a sleazy car salesman on TV and you know how they're always played in the movies. And, but I fell in love with the psychology behind what makes consumers tick 
and what wins people over. And now having gone through strengths finders a few years ago, I found out my top strength is woo winning others over. And so it made sense that as, you know, a teenager entering into her early twenties, that that would really like resonate with me. Um, so that's what I majored in. And right after college, I fell into a job with a Swiss investment bank. Um, I started in recruiting and then over the course of eight years, worked my way up but by the time I left when I was 30 I was vice president of change management and communications um, this was a job I actually loved so my corporate story is very different than many people's because I loved my job I loved my team and I loved what I did not every day not every moment but in general I was very proud of my job I loved it um, there were a lot of benefits for my friends um, so they loved my job <laughs> and it was I, I even weathered the storm of the economic downturn in 2008 I graduated in college in 2007 so I felt like I really lived through hard things with my coworkers. I was living in London at the time of the economic downturn I um, with the bank I did a lot of work in Asia, in, in the Asia-Pac region, and within Europe, in New York City, and I just thought, how lucky am I to get this opportunity? And I still think about that. I'm like, holy cow, this set me up for, for my life, um, for what I do now, which we'll get to in a minute. But just reflecting more on my corporate um, experience, so just to describe change management a little bit, it means winning people over to new ideas, basically. So there's point A, there's point B, and getting people to walk from point A to point B successfully. The only problem was the, the things I was given, the point, B's, the point B's really sucked. And so the people I was having to communicate the point B's to and kind of walk with them along that journey, the point B's didn't seem good to them. And I think what they appreciated about me was that I didn't offer some like one size fits all solution. I actually listened to them and listened well and um, had camaraderie with them. It's like, this really stinks. And it was a very authentic approach to, um, you know, walking with people through tough things of layoffs, of having to move out of your office, moving to an open plan work environment, um, what, whatever it was, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of walking with people on a journey. Um, and yeah, I loved it. Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> I felt a lot of tension, at least for five of those eight years of, um, I think I can use this skill set in a way to benefit the world in a bigger way. And maybe if you're listening, you felt that at points. Um, and it was just this ever-growing tension that I kept trying to silence down because I'm like, no, Emily, you have what you want. You have what you've worked hard for. You know, you like your job better than pretty much anyone in your friend group likes their job. You get all of these opportunities. And I was using gratitude as the excuse to smush down and quiet my calling. Um, I think the world teaches to be grateful and, you know, I'm 34. So my parents, you know, grew up, my grandparents grew up in the time of like, you're, you, you have the one job you're grateful for it. There's a lot to be grateful for. And I loved learning that growing up, but I think we're kind of walking into this time in the world where people are being called out to be authentic with who they are and what they're supposed to do in the world. And uh, I think you can hold both gratitude and your purpose. <clears throat> what a beautiful so. sentiment. 
<laughs> and it's so well said. It's so true. I mean, we mm. all swing the pendulum and, and that's something that I refer to all the time is that we swing it from zero to 10 and 10 back to zero. And we believe that, you know, just because we left a job that's great, that we should love, you know, to find something that's even better, right? To seek out more in our lives, whether it's more impact or joy or fulfillment, you know, means then that we hated the other thing. And it is, it doesn't mean that. And that's why I love your story of, of loving what you did, but yet still seeking more. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's fantastic for everybody mm -hmm. to hear that that situation, that it's okay to leave that, right? It's okay to leave the six-figure job, even if you do like it to still want more, if you have that, and I'm in the process of writing a book, and I refer to that feeling as the tug, right? Yeah. The tug to, and you almost feel pulled to do something bigger with your life. So I, yeah. I totally identify with that too. And I love that you felt the same thing. I did. And so I was feeling this tension. And so I, I'm an action taker. I'm like, again, the three, the achiever, what I have to like be moving forward and doing something. And so what I did with that tension was I actually did something and took some action. And what that looked like was when I lived in London, I got six to eight weeks vacation. So I actually spent a lot of my vacation time in the developing world, volunteering with nonprofits and social enterprises to help win people over to their fundraising efforts or to buy their fairly made products. Um, I fell in love with what they were doing. So I spent a lot of time even on Skype, not traveling, but Skyping with kind of for free um, folks that ran these social enterprises, folks that were a part of these nonprofits doing really incredible work, but they were the world's best kept secret, which you never want. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I really wanted to help use the skills that I was honing in corporate to help them like maximize their marketing efforts, their communications campaigns, and really getting the word out about what they were doing. And I started thinking like, okay, maybe this is what I'm called to do. I can spend my vacation time doing this. I can spend my, uh, you know, free time doing this. But then, you know, that wasn't all I was called to do. And I still tried to silence and squish down those feelings and that tension. But I knew the more I did that, the more I fell in love with it. Absolutely, the more I fell in love with it. I had also studied photography and videography in college. So I was um, volunteering those efforts as well, taking photo and videos for social enterprises and nonprofits. And um, I started figuring out, not only did I love what I was doing, but I love being an entrepreneur. Because I consider myself an entrepreneur. I wasn't making any money, but I was intentionally using my skill set to benefit others. There was not an exchange of money in return, right? But I still thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And then I thought, well, I wonder if I could start a side hustle and try out this entrepreneur thing. So I took a few more classes at the London School of Photography and I started doing portraits for my coworkers. Turns out I hate, well, not I hate kids, but I hate photographing little kids. So a lot of what I was doing was doing families and I quickly figured out that's not what I wanted to do. Um, but somewhere along the ways of living in London and ending up moving back to Raleigh, um, when I was 29, or no, I guess I was 27, um, I fell in love with 
taking photographs for branding for women entrepreneurs. So I was still working for the investment bank. I was still volunteering my time with nonprofits and social enterprises, but I created a business um, around my photography. I had a photography studio in downtown Raleigh where I still live and I specialized in headshots for women entrepreneurs. And that's a part of my story I don't tell very often because it's sometimes hard to track with like to, you know, for people to track with, but I wanted to share it with this audience because I know if you're listening, like you are thinking about, okay, how do I get from point A to point B stuck in my corporate job? Emily, I actually don't love my job like you did. And I don't even necessarily know what B is yet, but it's different than what my A is. And what I want to show you that I did is I wasn't clear on the B that I'm now doing and very happy doing and know is my life's work, but I just took action to use my gifts and what I had available to me to serve others in paid and unpaid ways. And that's really what I encourage people to do. I'm like, test the waters. I honestly, honestly, honestly would not be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't have responded to an email my friend sent me in 2008 that said, hey, I know what you're doing in your corporate job. I think my friend in Africa that's volunteering at a nonprofit could use your help looking over a marketing campaign of emails. I wouldn't be doing it if I hadn't said yes. So what does a yes look for you, look like for you right now? How fantastic. Oh my gosh. I love those sliding door moments too mm-hmm. that people have where you can look back and say, oh my gosh, because I said yes, right. I was able to open continued door after door after door to get where I wanted yes. to go. And, and that fundamentally is just part of the process. It's that simple say yes, take action, and see what ends up happening as a result of it. And what I love about your story, too, that you said and, and you know, skipped over a bit is that you started with kids, and then you were okay with the fact that that wasn't the right thing. Because very often I'll see female entrepreneurs start out something, and because that first thing didn't work, the first step wasn't the end-all, be-all. It wasn't point B, as you refer to it. They think, oh, well, I'm not meant to do anything else. I'll shrink back into, you know, the position that I was previously in. And I love that you didn't do that. You just tweaked it a bit and said, that portion of it I don't love. Let me find, you know, one part of it that I do. And you kept going. So, Absolutely. And I love giving this visual of a paddleboard. Hang with me. So when I was in um, Asia a few years ago, it was my first um it was my first shot at paddleboarding and I'd always like seen other people do it. And this is like on my bucket list. That is a sad bucket list, but honestly, that was on my bucket list. And I had envisioned, I'm like, I'm going to be really good at this. I was a dancer. I was a gymnast. I have okay balance. Not great. I'm not afraid of the water. I'm a good swimmer. Like I've got this. I get out in the water and I just keep biting it. And these little, it was so infuriating because it was like basically toddlers on paddleboards, like scooting past me, like, what is happening? I don't understand what's going wrong. And I just kept falling and falling. And I was like, this is just like embarrassing at this point. I think I've tried for a straight hour. Like, and I'm not one to easily give up, but I was like, I'm doing something wrong. I can't figure out what it is. I'm going to revisit this later. So I like with my head, you know, between my legs, like walked the paddleboard back and checked it in to the guys on the beach and they just all stared at me. And I was like, yeah, I know that you were watching that. But I returned home and I was talking to my friend who's a really good paddleboarder. And I know she goes out on the lakes in Raleigh. And I was like, what was I doing wrong? And she was like, did you ever stick your paddle in the water? And I was like, no, because I couldn't even stand up. She was like, that's your problem, Emily. Like, you've got to stick your paddle in the water, get some movement first before you stand up. 
and I compare that to entrepreneurship because people are so scared, right? To try anything and to take action and stick their paddle in the water because it's like they want to be sure first. They want to be sure footed. They want to have all of these things lined up. And I'm like, no, stick your paddle in the water because I've found that action, even small, tiny actions breeds momentum and momentum is what breeds confidence. That's what breeds the sure-footedness. So I'm always trying to get people to like, what's one thing you can do today with the gifts you have? What's right now? And just test, test the waters, you know, and like, let's get going. Um, so yeah, I, I love using that visual reference. It's very helpful for me. And I use it to challenge myself sometimes too. If I'm overwhelmed by, you know, a problem or something I have in front of me, I'm like, all right, I gotta stick my paddle in the water. Let's go. What does that look like today? That is such a great analogy. I am going to use that over and over again, I, honestly. And I've had that moment myself. I'm not a skier, snow skier, can't do it. And yet four-year-olds were flying past me down the slopes. <laughs> I'm totally incapable. <laughs> but, but much like you, I just decided, right, just like entrepreneurship, it's not some giant leap. I just decided one day that I was going to make it happen. And slowly but surely you end up getting there. So. Yeah, it's true. So what was the next step? How long did it take you between feeling that initial, you know, tug and pull to be more, do more, you know, and you're creating this photography business as well as volunteering. You're doing all of these amazing things. How long did you stay in that position before you made the, the transition out? Great question. I think a good four or five years. And if that's where you sit right now and you're listening, have some grace for yourself because I'll tell you this, nothing is wasted in your life. Nothing is wasted. I now look back, you know, when I quit and cut, you know, looking back at, at points, I'm like, gosh, if I just quit sooner. No, no, because in the last year, even that I was in corporate, I learned so much that allowed us to take our business to the next level this past year. So basically what happened was shortly before my 30th birthday, um, and this is getting into why I quit and what I do now. <laughs> um, so I, I had this side hustle. I was making money, putting that away, donating to causes as well, still maintaining these relationships, right? With these nonprofits and social enterprises. I was traveling. My friends were always asking, can you bring back more necklaces and shoes like you got the last time you were in this place? And so I was basically an illegal importer at this point. Because <laughs> not really. Feds don't come get me. Not really. But it, I just started thinking like, oh, like people are into this. Um, and I've always had like unique fashion. I mean, we're looking at each other right now over Zoom and I have on huge earrings. Uh, I've always had a unique fashion. And so I was like, oh, people are actually really into the things like I'm finding abroad. So that's interesting. Let me dock that in my head. But basically I was also in tandem really obsessed with the tiny house shows at that time. Um, so like five years ago, four or five years ago. And um, I just remember one night on Pinterest looking at tiny houses and kind of pinning. I was like, maybe I'll make a tiny house. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll live in a tiny house one day. You know, your 1 a.m. ramblings of like, I don't want to go to sleep and I just want to keep looking at these inspiring photos. We've all been there. Uh, it was one of those <laughs> rabbit hole nights. And, Crack, cracking uh, me up. <laughs> I mean, camaraderie, right? This is real life. Um, and I had searched tiny house, but all of a sudden I see a photo of something that's not a tiny house and it piqued my interest. And I was like, what is that? And the, the information underneath the photo said, LA's first fashion truck hits the streets. And I was like, what is a fashion truck? I've always been obsessed with fashion. I'm like, why have I never heard of this? 
and I click on it and see that it's a boutique on wheels. It looks like a food truck, but you open up the back doors, put steps down and people shop your boutique on wheels. And that's when it hit me. Oh my gosh, I could legally import things <laughs> and make a little boutique on wheels. And maybe that's what all of this is for. Maybe that's what all these experiences um, have lent themselves to. And I'm good at winning people over. And maybe, just maybe, I should test the concept of a fashion truck. Buy from all my friends I've made over the years and test to see if women would be interested in officially using their purchasing power for good um, by buying all these products that are made by really courageous women fighting the good fight in their rural communities all over the world and right here at home in the U.S. Um, and so I, uh, I think I quit my job a week later. Um, now, of course, the tension had been building for quite some time and I'd always thought about it and I made my plan of how I was going to hand in my laptop and I was going to get in my car and cry. Um, but yeah, it was just that moment of I didn't quit because I had a game plan. I quit because I finally had the strong enough conviction to say, I cannot live like this anymore. I cannot. I cannot, and there's so many people, you need a financial plan, you need this, you need that. I quit without that. Granted, I had some savings, but I just, it was like, I can't live like this anymore. It was my time, and it was just my time. And um, I always say that's when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than, than the, the pain. potential pain of change. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. It's that seesaw and the seesaw. It's like, I got thrown up in the air. I was like, and hey, now's the time we <laughs> have surpassed this pain. And so, um, I did, it was pretty devastating to my boss and team. It was very shocking to them. And I didn't have an exact plan to tell them. They're like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to do more of like, I don't have a huge plan, but I just know I need to do more of what I've been doing. And I was actually a year prior to that had already dialed down. This is an important fact. I'd already dialed down to 20 hours a month because I was doing more with my side hustle. I even forget that. This is such a fun interview because I forget these details. Um, but yeah, that had already happened. So I'd already been in that transition phase, but it was like, I wanted to keep one foot on first base, but you just can't, you can't, you can't guys, you cannot achieve a home run with one foot on first base and I just yeah I was like let's go let's run this race and so um, I quit and um, paid eight thousand dollars for uh, an old uniform delivery truck from Craigslist and over the course of that was July of 2015 in October of 2015 after 40 plus friends helped us build out this fashion truck as a little mini boutique on wheels and we launched what's now called the flourish market um, so for a year, we were a little fashion truck on wheels and all of our products had and still have a bigger purpose started with like six to eight brands. So people would walk on and shop clothes and shoes and jewelry and a little bit of home decor. And um, we did public events, but most of what we did was me asking friends to host us in their driveway and them to like invite their friends over. Um, so it's very much the home party model, except a big old truck parked in your um, driveway. I had zero retail experience besides shopping at stores. Um, I couldn't find any information on the internet and the people I reached out to that I thought my friends pretended they never received my emails or texts. No one wanted to give me information. Um, which is fine. I get that. Um, I'm always eager to share because I had such a bad experience, but I, um, that didn't stop me. And I always look back and say, wow, I can't believe I didn't let my lack of knowledge on just about everything 
not mm-hmm. hold me back, but I didn't know how inventory worked. I didn't know how wholesaling worked. I didn't know how importing things worked. I didn't know how websites worked. I had zero experience. The only thing I had going for me was the conviction and knowing like, I don't know if this is the exact plan B that I'm marching towards from A to B, but I know it's on the path. And so I'm going to keep stepping forward. And I've always kind of said like, everything's figure outable. Um, I love how Marie Forleo <laughs> says that, that, that yeah. is the yeah. best. Yes. So didn't you have though, a bunch of people grabbing you and saying, Emily, you've lost your mind. This is the craziest thing ever. 110%. I think my best friends were the most mad because I was basically their sugar mama. Um, <laughs> I mean, they got all the massages. They like would come to all of our events. I flew them over to Europe and, you know, we'd go traveling together and it was a really cushy life for them. And, um, they were very disappointed, but as soon as they got over their disappointment, they were like, all right, we're in, what do you need? Um, and I think people thought I was crazy, but they also knew that I would make it work because in my life, I've always made things work. It's just who I am. And it's what people would say about me. Um, as one of their main things, I would say like, Emily's always going to figure it out. She's always just going to make it work. Um, and so it's not like they, they thought I would fail. They were just like, well, this is a strange turn of events, but now the more I think about it, this makes a lot of sense. And this is going to be epic. Um, so yeah, I told them all as they sat around my table at my 30th birthday dinner <laughs> and everybody just kind of looked at me and was like, okay, who's going to jump in with a cheers? Like, what do we say? Do we do a cheers? <laughs> Talk her and off the ladder? Like, what do we do? So what did you say? Because one thing that I struggle with, with a lot of female entrepreneurs, when they're making that grand announcement, like I've made a change, most of the time they lean back instead of leaning in to the new opportunity like oh I'm gonna try this little thing we'll see how it goes and so they downplay it but I want to hear I have a feeling that might not have been what you said so how did you how did you announce it what did you say I love it I mean I just flat out said my truth and this is what I'm doing and here's the thing you have to like work on and I've worked on this a lot with my therapist but you have an inner monologue in your head that's going to tell you all these negative things and you've like borrowed that right this is what my therapist elise snipes go follow her on instagram she's going to become your new favorite follower she's elise snipes collective she's my personal therapist changed my life but we talk a lot about that inner monologue you can borrow it from friends right so you look externally and you're like what are people going to think about this decision and you it's from growing up people told you you know whatever context clues you're looking around and grabbing and internalizing but you have to learn to fight back and make it a dialogue in your head and say, okay, all right, I'm hearing this, but okay, actually, I'm going to chat back with this voice and say, that actually might be true. And that's, that is true, but also this, and I'm very smart and very capable. I know how to type in google.com, um, you know, and, and, and making that a dialogue. And so it's not just one sided. And so I've done a lot of work on that and at the end of the day, when I looked around at my friends, I saw a lot of anxiety and fear. But when I looked inside, I felt peace. And yeah, I was so anxious and fearful. But at the end of the day, I was like, no, this is where I'm called to. I'm walking out onto the water. Like, I love that visual from the Bible. And I'm like, no, there's peace in this too. And it's going to be okay. 
Um, and at the end of the day, well, you know, I, could, I knew I could always grab any corporate job I wanted, but that was the fire under my ace because I didn't want to go back and do that. And I was like, I've got to make this work. Um, it, it's amazing what happens when you take that, for, that foot off of first base. You're kind of like, oh, bless it. Like, what did I just do? But it also lights a fire under your ace to, to run. Um, so yeah, people are going to think you're crazy. They're going to question you and they're doing it out of love. I mean, if they're not they should be tossed out of your friend's circle. And that's like not the people to circle up around you, but I, you have to understand from their shoes. Um, it doesn't make sense to them because I'm here to bet most of your best friends are not female entrepreneurs. And now is the time, even before you start your business to circle up and get embedded in the female entrepreneur community, wherever you are or virtually and start surrounding yourself with people who understand your mindset and can speak truth into you because you can't rely on people not in the community to speak truth into you because they just don't understand. It's the same. I'm not a mom. I can only understand a very limited amount of my friend, my best friend who's on the phone me today that's stuck at home with her toddler right now. Um, and was the thing she was telling me, like, I can only hear and understand so much because I'm not a mom, but it's the same for owning a business. Right. And so circle up these women around you. And that's what I did. I like went to any event I could find in Raleigh where I could connect with people in person and say, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, heck yeah, girl, like that is awesome. And you're like, really? Okay. And they, they helped me, they helped with that dialogue, right. Of what I was finding back in my head. And then I got to experience that confirmation, that affirmation externally as well with people who got it. Oh, what great advice. I love that. So I want to ask too about kind of some of those tactical things. You said you invested $8,000 in the truck. So mm -hmm. what in the world did you do for money during that period of time? I mean, so many people don't want to take their foot off first base because, love that analogy too, because they're so afraid of the financial ramifications and, you know, how they're going to make it through. I mean, did you have a ton of savings? What, what did you do? Great question. I'll be very, like, very open book here. So at a 401k, I'm coming from corporate, guessing if you're listening, you have a 401k. Okay. Yeah. We don't ever want to cash that out because there's penalties, whatever. But if you were alive or death, you could do that, okay? So what I did was kind of write down the resources I had. I had stowed away some money, right, from savings, from my side hustle that I had. I always encourage me doing a side hustle. You just want to up and quit and, like, not, I mean, like, have some footing there, right? Try out things. Figure out what you hate, what you like, and march forward, right? Even if you can only spend a couple hours a week on it. I get you're busy. But if you actually want to have a, a full time, like a being an entrepreneur, you got to treat your side hustle as if it is like your main business. So like mark out some time on your calendar, friend. Um, but th these are all the things I was doing and setting aside savings. And what I found helpful was one day I just wrote out all of my fears, my what ifs. And I like set a timer for 10 minutes and didn't let myself stop writing. What if this, what if this, and I was like, go deeper. What if this, what if this, and basically I was less scared of the financial ramifications. And when I got down to it, it was actually other people's opinions of me that I was most scared of it, guys. We're smart women. You can always go and find a job and go back to, you can financially provide for yourself. Get that lie out of your head and not, Hey, maybe you're, you're a single mom with three kids. That is true, but also what is true is you're smart and you can get it, you can go and get another job. Um, 
this is not the problem. <laughs> You're actually more scared of what other people will think if you fail. And once you've come to that realization, you can work on that with a therapist. You can, you can, you can just say like, okay, let me stare that down. I think when we write out our fears and stare them down, they lose a ton of power. And so that's something I was working on. I think like the mental work goes even more than the financial work. And then um, just like starting small. So, I mean, the inventory I had on my truck, it was like barely anything. Um, I did a Kickstarter campaign to raise $5,000 for my inventory. Yes, I had some money, but I'm like, I want people's skin in the game. So they donated in exchange for a future gift card when we launched, plus depending on the level, they gave a percentage off. So uh, 10 to 20%. So I was like, okay, I haven't seen anyone do that, but that would make sense to me. You're just like kind of buying a gift card, right? And um, we hit that goal and surpassed it. And that's what I used to buy inventory. And I just remember cracking up buying like, okay, I don't know how long this will last. I did not know. There was no one that talked to me about inventory and how long it would last. And I like laughed today because, you know, now we'll place a $10,000 order. I was placing $50 orders for four necklaces. Like that's just what I was doing. And I was, it was stupid because I was, it wasn't stupid, but it was just what I had available to me. And I was having to pay so much shipping, right? Because it was like a flat rate shipping, but that's what I did. And yes, it didn't make the most financial sense, like short term, or, or maybe, I mean, long-term, like all the shipping charges adding up, but it made all the financial sense in the world because I didn't like, I've never taken out a loan. Now our multi-million dollar business, I've never taken out a loan. And I just like worked my way up. I think people can say, oh, I need like all this money. No, what, what can you do right now to start making money and putting that away and like multiplying your efforts and gradually growing? Um, and, and, and I love Sarah Blakely's story of Spanx and how she started. Go back and listen to her uh, podcast interview on how I built this. She's never taken investments. Um, she's gradually built Spanx to be the company it is today. And I won't spoil it, but listen to the episode and you can see how she started. Um, and, and just like start. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else financially I could say. Um, no, I mean, what made sense to me was just half that I made would go back into um, buying inventory and the other half went to other business expenses and savings as we grew. Um, it, it was very, very scary signing our brick and mortar lease in November of 2016. And I feel like we barely scraped by on those, some of those months of having to pay like the general contractor and all of that. But it was just like, okay, well, if I, I need to schedule like four more truck parties um, to meet this and just having an understanding. I think people get scared of finances, put it down on paper. What do you need and when, when are your bills due? What do you have coming up? Stare it down, make a plan. Don't be scared of finances. They're a whole lot less scary when you write it out. And if you need help, like get the help of an accountant or a financial advisor or ask a friend to help you. That's good with numbers. Um, but yeah, just get it in front of you and make a plan. That's all I've done. And I'm not an accountant. I'm not, I, I didn't have the help of an accountant at the time. It was just like, okay, it's very straightforward. Um, these are the numbers and okay, how am I going to hit it? I love that. I mean, so much realness from you and, and authenticity. And I, I just love all the real talk of just do it, make it happen. I mean, you followed your curiosity so many different times. And I always tell clients that 
you know, that is going to lead you to the right place. And that mm -hmm. it, if you're following that internal desire to be bigger and do more then, and then you continue to ask what's next and how is this, you know, for my benefit ultimately rather than for my detriment. And you believe that each step is happening for your benefit. You will see the, the beautiful things that are sitting right in front of you. And, um, you know, when you're looking at life through that lens, you'll see it entirely differently. And, and that's certainly what happened to you every step of the way. So tell our listeners kind of where you've ended up now, because I know your business did another big expansion just yes. recently. Yeah. And I'd love to give them a great picture of kind of, you know, it was hard and you scraped by, but look at where you are today. So mm -hmm. describe kind of the place that you've landed. Sure. So as we're recording this, it's July, 2019. So we are, if you're tracking four years ago, so my birthday's actually in two days. Um, and that will be four years since I sat around and told my friends the craziest thing that ever heard come out of my mouth. Um, and it's crazy where we are today. Just a month ago, we um, launched, we moved. So we were in downtown Raleigh. We moved to the other side of downtown, tripling our footprint. We're in the heart of downtown now in a 3,500 square foot space, which is huge. I mean, not for Target, but for a boutique, it's very huge. And, um, you know, um, we're a million dollar plus business in revenue. And now we carry over 60 brands, all of which are doing absolutely incredible work in the U.S. Um, and or abroad. So we have, just to give you an example, we have clothing made by sex trafficking survivors in Nepal. We have jewelry made in Nashville by women who've come out of addiction programs. We have, um, you know, baby toys made by refugee mamas all over the world. It's just, when you come in, it looks like a regular boutique. Like we want to um, curate affordable, on-trend, really awesome and cool pieces for everyone. Um, so we're a women's and gifts boutique. That's one thing we expanded on. We realized people really wanted gifts. So that's a big thing, a part we've expanded in this new footprint. But um, what's really cool is the back third of our footprint is what we call the locality. And it's a co-working space and incubator for 60 female entrepreneurs. Um, I really was like, oh my gosh, all these like, you know, women I'm coaching in business and helping get their businesses off the ground. Like they are all sitting in their homes alone here in Raleigh, or they're sitting in a coffee shop and maybe they're also sitting next to an entrepreneur, but it's not really something you do is sit down. And if someone has on headphones, pull out their headphones and say, I'm Emily. What's your name? What do you do? And so I'm like, we are so siloed. And what I found in my travels in the developing world is I, these women are so closely knit and they do life and business together. And I was like, how can I replicate what's working for them here in my city? And um, I just put up the announcement um, in, in April and for the locality, it was part of our big announcement in the press release. It had just a page I made in an hour on a website and um, we sold out our spots before construction even began. Um, people, it, it proved to me, people don't care what color the ergonomic chair is going to be. They actually wanted community. And um, I'm a big believer that people buy from you when they feel understood, not when they understand like what you're trying to do or say. It's like, if they feel understood, they're going to be like, okay, this woman gets me and I'm all in. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but it's been cool. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're a four or five weeks in and just to see the magic that's come from the connections already, I think at most someone knew two or three people, other members, but most people knew no one. And I'm like, you guys have like, no, like, how do we not know each other? Oh, um, so that's, amazing. that's been a really beautiful, um, output of, 
um, our space and just bringing it back to um, the courageous women that we partner with that are behind our products, elevating them as the teachers. They get a lot of things right, a lot of things right um, that um, the internet and social media and things cloud for us here in America. And just coming back to at the end of the day, human connection um, and um, doing life together. I don't think we're meant to do life or business alone. I think we're much better together and much more powerful. And I think the world needs women to link arms right now and uh, do positive things. And uh, it's just been my joy. It's just been my joy um, to, to just see how it's all unfolded. Gosh, congratulations. What an incredible impact you're making, not only, you know, abroad, but in your hometown now with the, the local female entrepreneurs there. You know, I don't know if you know this, but less than 2% of female-owned businesses produce a million dollars in income or more. So you're in this, you know, very small group, but you're not staying there alone. You're going back and getting more women and bringing them along with you and sharing your knowledge and that is exactly what we need to do and have more of. So I applaud you for that. And it's going to make a huge impact. It's going to help make more change for women in the working world. So thank you for all that, all that you've done and, and the courage that you've had to make all of that happen. It couldn't have been easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And it's been such a, um, experience filled with hardship the last few years, but way more joy than I could even measure. It's been a really, really awesome couple of years. <laughs> and what you've accomplished in four years is absolutely amazing. You know, something that I heard recently is that, you know, we very often overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term and underestimate what we can accomplish in the long term. And so that is, is so true. You know, we, we make a to-do list that's 50, you know, that has 50 things on it. And we think, oh, we can accomplish this all in one day. And yet we don't leave to create a new business because we believe that it'll take us absolutely forever to, to make it happen. And, and look at what you've built in a four-year period and, and changed so many other people's lives in the process. So, um, you know, I used to say one of the reasons why I left my law practice is that it didn't help me sleep better at night, saving multi-million dollar companies another million dollars. <laughs> I wanted to make a bigger impact. And so I really identify with everything that you said. And I think that more, most women do, right? I mean, we, we want to have a lasting impression on our communities. And um, so I, I'm so excited that, that you're inspiring so many other women to do that too. And I know through this podcast, you have too. Um, so okay. thank you for your time. It's been fantastic. Gosh. I could go on and on talking to you forever. I mean, I'm like, okay, I've found my new best friend. I don't think everybody <laughs> on this podcast is thinking the exact same thing. So Emily, if they want to do business with you, how do they make that happen? Well, thank you for all those kind words, Sally. Um, What's beautiful about the Instagrams is you can find everything on the link tree in my Instagrams. So uh, I am at mgraysexton on Instagram. That's E-M 
G-R-E-Y-S-E-X-T-O-N. You can find me there. From there, everything is linked. Our handle for the Flourish Market, I mean, it's just at the Flourish Market. But you can see at my website there, my speaking, the coaching I do, the retreats I lead, everything's there. Um, but truly what I want you to see by following me is the real behind the scenes. So I know there's a lot of talk about the highlight reel and showing the non-highlight reel. No, I just show you all of it. Um, especially in Insta stories. And if you follow along, you will become invested in our story because I ask for so much input and that has always shaped um, how we do business. And my biggest hope uh, in, in being online and what my voice can be use, used for is uh, kind of the message I'll, I'll leave uh, your listeners with today, Sally, is I think that we are women who... Um, if you're listening, you're looking for your purpose. You're looking for how you can have positive influence and you think you've got to make this big change right away. And what I will say is I do not think the problem is that you need to figure out how to be influential. I think you just need to admit to yourself that you already are right now where you are and what can you um, kind of, what fruit can you produce no matter how small it is today? Oh my gosh, what a beautiful message. Oh, thank you. I mean, that is filling my cup and I know it's going to fill everyone else's cup. And, you know, I think we can all walk away really feeling um, like we have everything that we need to go and, and make the world a better place. And that's all we can ask for. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I so appreciate it. Um, and we are going to be able to follow up with Emily, of course, um, on social media. I know I already follow her and love watching all of her stories and, you know, all of the great products online as well. So thank you so much, Emily. Sally, thank you so much. And thanks for the work you do with helping women get from point A to point B. You're a champ. Well, thank you. It's my passion. It's my purpose. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holger. Remember, you can always find out more about us, what we're doing, what projects we have going on, and more about the podcast by visiting sallyholder.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. It really goes a long way. We'll be back next week with another empowering story of dreaming beyond the American dream. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.